You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Great job, worship team. Great job, Betty. Great job, everybody. Great to have Brian back with us visiting. Congratulations to Alex, got baptized last Sunday. And uh, we get to have uh, the Kramers with us today. Welcome. They're going to share a little bit. Uh, any kids in here, we love you, but you're welcome to go to class now. And, uh, and as well as the, uh, the, the youth ministry. Uh, so uh, we're going to be uh, talking, uh, starting something new today, a new series today, and um, kind of having to do with some of the times that we're in. We're going to be looking at the book of First Peter, uh, just one passage and, and digging into this one passage in First Peter. So we were talking, uh, Rhett and Owen Thomas and I were talking and praying and thinking about what we were, you know, what we we're going to be teaching on next, what, what uh, part of the Bible we were going to pull from, really asking God to lead us and... and um, you know, we were talking about how they're, we're, we're living in some crazy times right now. Have you noticed that? These are crazy times, like, uh, like historic times the last few years. I mean, these are things that will be in the history books, if there are history books, because it's kind of like end of the world times that we're in, you know, could be end of the world times. And there have been many times like that in history, many times that were kind of crazy times. And uh, I, am a, um, I am a closet Trekkie, uh, I, not, not a... Super intense Trekkie, but uh, I like to watch Star Trek. The old, especially the old ones, you know, the old original ones. And um, yeah, I got a few amens on that one. Uh, I am not, so, so I'm not as old as maybe some of you think I am, uh, some of the teenagers. So those were not out when I was even born, but uh, they didn't, they weren't really successful when they came out in, in the late 60s. Actually, they really it was really through syndication and reruns that they really built a huge following. So that was my generation watching the reruns after school every day uh, because I am old enough that I couldn't just choose, pick and choose what I wanted to watch, teenagers. You know, I had to, whatever's on the TV, that's what I'm watching. And so it was Star Trek when I got home from school. It was Star Trek or a couple other choices that I didn't want. But, uh, you know, I love those old, old shows. And now I like to watch them. They're all on Netflix. They're going away September 30th. So if you want to, you know, binge watch Star Trek before it's gone. My guess is they're going somewhere else on CBS All Access or something. But anyway, uh, I was watching one this week. I like to watch them for the nostalgia value. They're really silly. I mean, they're really campy and silly. But, uh, but they're trying to kind of go after certain issues. But I was watching this one, and it was talking about kind of, it, it was a weird one because they somehow ended up at planet Earth in 1968. They didn't really ex- explain how. The Star Trek Enterprise went back in time and ended up at, uh, at, at planet Earth in 1968, but it was like a flashback. So Star Trek, when I watch it, it's, 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 it's kind of a flashback to when it was written, like when it was made as well. You know, you kind of get the cultural issues they're trying to, to, to deal with and stuff because that kind of comes through. And this one uh, just sounded a little bit like our time. This is, uh, see if you know who this actress is that's, that's in this role, but she's a, a, a playing a, a person in her 20s talking a little bit about the issues of her day and how she's responding to them. Let's see here. Roberta, you've got to believe me. Look, a truly advanced planet wouldn't use force. They wouldn't come here in strange alien forms. The best of all possible methods would be to take human beings to their world, train them for generations until they're needed here. Mr. Salmon, I want to believe you. I, I do. I mean, I know this world needs help. 
That's why some of my generation are kind of crazy and rebels, you know? We wonder if we're going to be alive when we're 30. Two minutes to impact. Hold it right there, Mr. Seven. Oh, no. <laughs> so, did anybody know who that was? Terry Gar, yeah, Terry Gar. Terry Gar's big in, in Generation X. You know, she became big later uh, as an actress. This is her playing a person in her 20s. But did you catch what she said? She said, people our age, that's why we act a little crazy and a little rebellious. Because we're not sure if we're going to even be alive when we're 30. And, and you talk to young people now, and I have three young people, young adults living in my house, and, and there are huge crises that they face in their future. You know, there's political crises, there's there's globalism crises, there's global warming issues, there's all kinds of issues that they feel strongly about, issues of, of poverty, issues of, you know, just injustice, all kinds of stuff that they feel. And, uh, and it kind of feels like crazy times. And so there, how do we respond to times like that? The, the time in, in, in Peter, when Peter is writing this passage, is a time that was kind of like that. In fact, he says, the end of all things is near. Yeah, maybe we feel that way, uh, some of us, about our time that we're in now. And, and if it was near then, I would say it's probably even more near now, right? The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very word of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. There is a whole lot in this passage. And we're going to be, this is a passage Owen Thomas brought up for us to, to really dig into. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be digging into this passage and talking about how do we respond to the times that we're in? How do we as Christians be different from the world around us? And we're just going to be looking at that very first verse, uh, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so you can pray. So we're just going to be digging into this one verse today and, and, and learning what we can from it. Uh, I want to pray before we really uh, dive into the, this idea in the scripture. So let's pray as we open God's word. God, thank you to be able to pray to you, to sing to you, to worship you. Thank you that you are ever present and available to us. And I uh, pray that you'd be with us, be with our ministry, be with Lorena Pusateri, who lost her, uh, her, her, her mom yesterday. And I uh, just pray that you comfort her and comfort the family. I pray you'd be with the Stebergs as they are continuing to grieve the loss of Mia and, and with the Chang family uh, with losing Ping recently. And and uh, Father, deal with all of those in our fellowship who've lost loved ones over the last year or two. And uh, just pray that you'd strengthen us, help us to be there for one another, help us to comfort one another. And uh, I, I thank you that we can uh, um, be, be able to, to celebrate being in heaven with you forever uh, and, and the future that we have to look forward to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, at the time of, that Peter was writing this... Uh, the, the, the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem was actually very near, or right at hand, like just about to happen. And, uh, and, and there was kind of a, a flavor of what was going on at the time uh, that really led Peter and Paul, and, and it seems like all the apostles really believed that, that, that Jesus' return was imminent, that Jesus was going to be coming back really soon. And uh, that really comes through in their writing that, that they seem to, to, to 
Now, this is the human part of them. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit got it wrong or something. It's just that you could tell that they were really expecting Jesus to return within their lifetime or really soon. And uh, if you go to, to, to uh, uh, grad school, you can learn uh, terms like the delay of the parousia. The delay of the parousia. That just means uh, Jesus didn't come back. Right? Jesus didn't come back and the parousia is Jesus' return and the end, the culmination of the age and the end of all time. He didn't come back as soon as it was intended. And so that caused a little bit of, and you can see it in 1 Peter, there was a little bit of, wait, I thought he was coming and yet he hasn't come yet. And, and, and even, at, you know, even late, late in, the, in that Christian period uh, in the Re- book of Revelation, John is saying, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. They're thinking it's soon. But it's been 2,000 years now, right? And, and so was Peter wrong well, no, he wasn't wrong because he put a caveat in there, if you notice, in, in the next chapter. We're not going to turn there, but he says, uh, or actually the next book, Second Peter, he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Uh, the Lord is patient. The Lord is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but as many people to be saved as possible. Basically, God is patient with humanity. And he says, God, God's timing is different. He says, with the Lord, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. So by God's timing, it's only been two days since Peter wrote that, right? And, and, and it's really, that's really even backed up by scientific uh, evidence and what, how science looks at the world. Like if you take a piece of toilet, or not a piece, but a roll of toilet paper and, and extend it all the way out, 400 sheets or so, that, and that represents the timeline just of planet Earth, the dinosaurs would have gotten here 19 uh, from the end, 19... Uh, squares from the end and they were here for about 14 squares so that the dinosaurs were here a long time and how about humans how how much would humans take up any any guess half a sheet quarter of the life yeah one millimeter is a is a hundred thousand years and all of human history is really only you know with 30,000 years or something or you know debatable how you how you gauge that but it's the very very last little little bit of a piece of toilet paper and this is a whole roll and that's just planet earth so god's timing is a lot different than ours right and uh, so by god's timing it's like we are at the end i mean whether it's like within the next few years or whether it's in the next few decades or within the next few millennia we're right at the end of human history and what God's doing. And so we need to talk about how, how we respond to that. In, in Matthew 24, so two weeks ago when I was speaking about Jesus at the temple, we kind of had to blaze over this part of the text at the end of Matthew. We just, if you're visiting with us, we just finished a, uh, a series on the book of Matthew. And we had big chunks that we were looking at, like three or four chapters at once. But um, when Je- it's all kind of about this clash of kingdoms and the temple and Jesus' interaction with the temple. But I want to read this scripture that we weren't able to read two weeks ago in Matthew 24. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And then Jesus goes on, and if you read Matthew 24, it's known as Matthew's Apocalypse, because he, uh, he talks about all these signs of the end of the age and all these things that will happen. So if you notice, though, they asked not one but two questions there in verse 3, because he said everything's going to be destroyed. The temple's going to be destroyed. 
And so they say, well, when is that? Tell us what's the sign of that? When, when is that, what's that going to be like? And what's the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Now, in, in, in Jesus' mind even, he, he says, this has not been revealed to me when I'm returning, right? In his human, Jesus was, he was contained within a human vessel and a human brain. And within his human brain, as he's on earth, he doesn't know when he's returning. And you can study that in Matthew 24 if you want to. He, he says, only the Father in heaven knows. And so maybe even in his mind, he thinks it's one and the same. But for sure with the disciples, they think it's one and the same. The temple destruction, we can't even understand how significant that was to the Jews. Because the temple was, that's the intersection of God and, and, and his people. That's where heaven and earth come together. That's that, you know, the temple is everything. And they, they would come to this place, to this temple, not just like, oh yeah, I've seen the temple maybe once in my life. They would go there many times a year, sometimes seven or ten times a year they would come to the temple, come together for these festivals that they had. The temple was so significant. And so the, the fact that it was destroyed in 70 AD meant to the, the, the Jews, is this the end of human history? But Jesus warns them in this chapter, he says, when you see all these signs, flee, go get out of the city, don't stay here. You know, when you see these signs, it's like, it's like you can tell when the weather changes, there's something happening, Jesus says in Matthew 24. You'll be able to tell there's stuff going on, and I want you to get out of the city. And history tells us that's what the, the, the followers of Jesus, the Christians, did. They left Jerusalem, they got out of the city, they went to the hills, and they did all the stuff he talked about in Matthew 24. And so they weren't part of this incredible destruction that happened in 70 AD, where, you know, they, they described it as just blood everywhere. I mean, so many people died, so many Jews died. It was this Holocaust in 70 AD. And, uh, and so that, that's the world that, that Peter's in. Like, when he's writing, the end of all things is near, he's, he's recognizing these signs that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. Like, th- this, is an, this is an apocalyptic time. This is a crazy end-of-the-world kind of time that we're in right now. And, of course, there's been other times like that through human history, I, I, I heard an interview with this author, Eric Klein, that wrote this book, 1177, The Year Civilization Collapsed. If you want to do a deep dive into another crazy time in human history that's not our own, like if you've had enough of this time, this is a really great book because that's the end of the Bronze Age and, and literally the end of everything that human knew, humans, like all human civilization was changed radically, and, and, and it was uprooted at this time. Here's a quick quote about the book. Uh, After centuries of brilliance, the civilized world of the Bronze Age came to an abrupt and cataclysmic end. Kingdoms fell like dominoes over the course of just a few decades. The thriving economy and cultures of the late 2nd millennium B.C., which had stretched from Greece to Egypt and Mesopotamia, suddenly ceased to exist, along with writing systems, technology, and monumental architecture. How did it happen? And then he tells the story of how uh, multiple interconnected failures ranging from invasion and revolt to earthquakes, drought, and the cutting of international trade routes, all this led everything to fall apart. Everything broke down, a complete breakdown of advanced civilization. Whereas they had had language, they lost their written language. Uh, They they, they lost a lot of their culture. They lost their society. I mean, it was just... It was like this dark ages, the first dark ages, they call it. Um, and and, and I, I mention that because there's all kinds of things that you'll hear on the internet about the time that we're in, about warnings about this and the new world order and, and the, you know, the, these, this evil thing happening or this evil thing. And I'm not saying any of that is not true. But as Christians, how do we respond to the end of the world as we know it? 
How do we as Christians respond to the times like this? I mean, America might be fine or America could fall to, to terrorist, uh, terrorist organizations. I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, but as a Christian, my faith is way beyond America. I love America. I love our country. I, I, I'm, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. But, but my hope isn't in America. My hope is in the kingdom of God, right? And, and there's been all kinds of times in human history that were crazy. And so this, this, what Peter is saying right there, I think it's applicable to us today. Okay, what should my focus be? What, what should I be thinking about? Uh, there was a, a song when I, in my generation. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. <laughs> right. I don't know what R.E.M. was talking about, but I think that, you know, the, the scriptures should, should lead us to that perspective where, okay, I'm okay. Every, the end of the world, but I'm okay. Uh, I got the Lord. There's two extremes that I've noticed that people can go to uh, with the end of the world. Uh, one is get totally consumed by it, like so consumed by all the happenings whatever the science is saying or whatever the politics is saying or whatever is going on, you know, and, you're, and just consumed and scared and anxious. I, I heard a story about this guy named um, Michael Foster. It was just a story of him and his family. He got super concerned about global warming. Uh, you know, he became a part of what Al Gore was doing and he learned that presentation, that slide deck that Al Gore would do and he would go present at all these schools and he got his kids uh, uh, into it and so they would present with him. And he, but he got so consumed with it, it was like he couldn't sleep and he, he couldn't eat and he was, just, it was just, he was so scared all the time. And, and that passed on to his daughters where it caused like psychological issues to his daughters, you know, because everything I do could be destroying the world and, and could be, you know, and, and they it ended up causing so much friction in their family that they now haven't spoken to each other for years. Wow. They broke their family apart. And he says in the interview, he says, I would go from like zero to 90 and you would not see it coming. All of a sudden it was like inside me. I felt like, okay, the world is going to end because of this. And he would just get so angry and he'd be screaming at them, you know, about the job, that they need to do this differently or do that differently. So, you know, that can't be the right response, right? Uh, But that can happen. People can get, get so consumed with whatever it is. The other extreme with the end of the world is who cares? You know, who cares? Let us, you know, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? Uh, there, there's another song from my generation. Uh, is Aaron Doty here? Where's Aaron? Aaron, can you stand up and quote the, the scholar, the, the prophet of the 80s? Uh, they say, 2000, And so? There you go. Uh, Aaron Doty is our resident Prince scholar. If you, if, you, if you didn't hear what he said, uh, the, he said, they say 2000 party over. Oops, out of time. So tonight I'm going to party like it's 1999. So that can be the, you know, when the end of the world is happening, it's like, ah, who cares? I'm, I'm going to party, you know, like, and, and uh, that, that term, let us eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's not just a Dave Matthews song. Again, I'm, a lot of Gen X references here. Um, that's also in ancient texts, and it's in the Bible about four times. And that's one of the things that Jesus talks about in, in the... In the uh, he tells a story of someone who says that. Anybody know who says, oh, I'm going to take things easy, eat, drink, and be merry? Who says that? The rich fool, right? And it's a story Jesus told about a guy 
who he goes, hey, I've got a really successful business. Uh, what am I going to do? I've got so much stuff, I don't even have anywhere to store it. Oh, I know, I'll, I'll make big barns. I can store all this stuff, this grain that'll take care of me for the future. I've got a good retirement plan. I've got everything set for the future. And so the future looks good. Uh, the future looks bright. And so I can take life easy, eat, drink, and be married. And what happens to him? God says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you've stored up for yourself? Jesus says, this is how it will be with anyone who is, it, it stores up treasures for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So that, that flippant, self, selfish uh, response of just going, I'm just going to take care of me, that's not a right response either. You can't be over, you know, just consumed with anxious and worry, but you also can't be like, ah, oh, who cares, you know. We've got to have something in the middle, some kind of different focus, right? And so he tells us what we need to do in the text. Peter says, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so you may pray. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Be alert, he says. Don't be asleep. Don't be, you know, uh, dull. Don't be numb. Be alert, be, be aware, be awake. Uh, you know, there, there's this idea of, of Christian thought of, of, of that, that when you understand who God is through Jesus, the, the, his revealed word, you become awake, you become aware. You, you're no longer sleeping, <clears throat> excuse me, sleeping. Like Ephesians 5, 7, uh, 14 has this early Christian saying, wake up, O sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. That, that we're awake, we're people who are awake uh, and we're ready, we're, we're waiting, we're, we're alert. Uh, Jesus told many stories like this, stories uh, about being ready, having your lamp burning, right? Uh, being at work, being at your post, if you're a servant and your master has gone away, you're, you're, you're doing, the, you're alert, you're, you're not falling asleep, you're awake, you're ready, you're alert. Um, I want to show you a quick scene, a two-minute scene from Chosen series. This, is, this scene here is, so a lot of things Jesus talked about, he probably talked about often, and in different ways. And so this is kind of, they kind of merge together a few things that Jesus talked and just kind of give you an abbreviated version of this idea of being, being awake. I just want to show this to you. I love this series, by the way. If you don't watch it, you should watch it. Are you having a party? I've heard voices. Mara, please come in. Uh, Rabbi, these are our neighbors, Mara and Eliel. Oh, we've heard about you. Have you? The parable of the, the net. net. I have a question about that. Please, our master is tired. He said, a long day of walking. It's all right. It's all right. You said angels would come and separate the evil from the righteous. Mm. How soon do you think that they would come, Rabbi? My friends and I recently returned from a wedding. The father of the bride was a man of great wealth, Abner. As the night got longer, near the end of the feast, what do you think the servants were doing back home? Mm. Waiting. If they're good at their jobs. Waiting where? In their rooms? In the kitchen? At the gate. Ah, at the gate. Doing what? Just standing there in the dark? Holding lamps. But why? Why wouldn't they just relax? Because they don't know when he's coming back. Suppose they figured the master was delayed in coming. So they took a nap on his bed, got drunk on his wine and let their lamps burn down. That's easy. They would be fired and then kicked out, called a name, and told that if they ever show their face around here again... My friends, shalom, shalom. We were just passing by and heard a familiar voice. 
We heard about the wedding. Can you do that to the well by my house? <laughs> you know them? Yes, Mary introduced them to me. Ah, stick around. Hmm? Why not? You were saying, teacher? Ah, yes, thank you, James. The servants. So it will be at the end of all things. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son of Man know the day or the hour, but only the Father. So you must always be ready with your lamps trimmed and burning brightly. So you see kind of they pull a lot of different Jesus' teachings into kind of this one interaction there, but it's this idea that that we don't know. And he says there, you know, no one knows, so you got to be ready. you got to be alert. you got to be, uh, you don't want to be, you know, doing shenanigans when, you're, when your master is away. You want to have him find you ready uh, and awake and sober-minded, uh, not, not sleepy-headed. Uh, my, one of my sons used to sleepwalk all the time. And w- when he would sleepwalk, <clears throat> it was interesting because you could have a conversation with him and, and he would do, he was like an automatron, like you could tell him what to do, and he would like, uh, like a zombie, he would go and do it, you know, get back in bed, you know, uh, you know. But then he wouldn't even remember it the next day. It would kind of be like a dream. Uh, and he would go, oh, I kind of remember that. But it was the weirdest thing, you know, because you're talking to a person, and he, he, but he's not there. And, and, and that's the opposite of what we're talking about. He's saying, no, be engaged, be aware, be alert. And I think he says that because the, 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 the world around us can, can pull our attention away from Jesus. And we can be focused on all these other things and we become dull to the spiritual things. We become uh, you know, consumed with these other things that, 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 that cause us to be numb spiritually instead of being awake and sober-minded. This uh, word that's translated sober-minded, I want to show you. This is from the Blue Letter Bible. You don't need to know Greek, but if you go online to Blue Letter Bible, you can do all kinds of awesome word studies. This is that word sober-minded, nepho. Uh, here's what it, 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 its uses uh, show are to be sober, to be calm, to be collected in spirit. That's one way it's used. Another is to be temperate, dispassionate, circumspect. Like, you're not, you're not, all over, you're not crazy. You're not those extremes I talked about, right? You're you're focused. You're razor focused. And uh, here are all the places it's used in the New Testament. Uh, so you see for the, the one we're looking at, 1 Peter 4, 7. And here's another one down here, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, roars, uh, uh, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to be devoured. So being sober minded, having your, your mindset, that's really the battlefield of, of spiritual you know, war. And Satan is really going to try to get you in your thinking. You see that from the very beginning with Eve, where, where Satan is trying to speak into her ideas. Did, did God really say this? God knows that if you, if you eat this, he's, you're going to be like him. And so he's trying to keep something from you. You know, she, 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 was, she was listening to this voice of Satan that was trying to get her to you know, question God and and, you know, so that, that battlefield of our mind, that's where Satan is going to really try to, to get us. And so we've got to be aware of his schemes. Uh, like it says in, uh, uh, where is that? 2 Corinthians 2, 1. We are not unaware of Satan's schemes. Satan is, is trying to, it says in this passage, he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we've got to be alert. We've got to be sober-minded. We've got to keep our minds focused. And, and the way that we think, Jesus really taught that it, that spills over into everything else that we do. That's really what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, is, 
yeah, there's this idea that you don't have adult, you don't commit adultery, but Jesus says that starts way earlier in your mind with lusting after someone, you know, viewing someone as an object, a selfish, uh, a selfish uh, way of looking at another human being. I want to take from that, or I want that person for my pleasure. That's where adultery begins. Uh, or I'm looking out for my own, you know, this, this way, it's a mindset, right? It starts with a mindset. So the whole Sermon on the Mount is about that, that, that the way that we conduct our lives, it all begins in this battlefield of our mind. Uh, so I want to ask you, you know, how, how are you doing in the battlefield of your mind? You know, how are you doing with your thoughts? Does, do you give Satan a foothold in your thoughts sometimes? Or do you give way to, you know, thoughts of anxiety or thoughts of, uh, you know, uh, Dustin and I talk about sometimes catastrophic thinking or, or, or just pleasure and, and lust and, and, you know, trying to, to, to indulge in that stuff. How are you doing in the battlefield of your mind? Uh, I think, it, it's, it, again, it's going to spill over into our speech, into our life, into our conduct, what, what's going on in our mind. Um, and then he says, so you can pray. Let me just go to this last part of the, of the passage. So you can pray. So he says, be alert and sober-minded. Why? So you can pray. Prayer is, so, so if we go, okay, what do I do? It's the end of the world as I know it. What do I do? Where's my focus? Prayer. Alert and sober-minded, and I got to pray. I got to be focused on God and his view and his world. Razor focused, disciplining my mind, taming my thoughts, making the space for prayer. And personally, this, this convicts me as, I, as I'm reading this passage. I want to spend more time and focused time in prayer. And, and, and the ministry of prayer, like praying for others. We talked a couple weeks ago about how Jesus, when he, when he came into the temple and he overturned the money changers and he said, you, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer. We should be you know, a, a people who are, are serving those around us by praying for those around us. So I really want to be somebody who prays more. I want to be known for praying for people. Calvin is known for praying for people. He has prayer lists in his, his, his phone, his prayer phone. And he, and he will pray for that. I want to be that kind of person. That I'm known for praying for people. Um, on, on, our, on our all of our video descriptions and on the QR code that will come up here later, there's a link that says connect with us and, and, or ask for prayers. And I want to, whether you're a member or you're a guest, I want to encourage you if, you, if there's something you want the staff to pray for, go on that connect link. And even today, like, if there's anything you would like me to pray for, I want to pledge to you that I, those messages go to just... Me, uh, the, the Craigs, the Marichis, and the Butlers, and we will pray for you. We will pray for you. Those, anything you put on there, it's confidential. But please uh, use that. Use that link and, and click on there. There's a little bot that will talk to you, and it's not one of us. It's just like, hello, how can I help you, or whatever, you know. Uh, but then you put in the prayer request, and that comes to us. But please do that. I really want to, I, I want to, to, to be devoted. I want to be focused, razor-focused on prayer. Prayer is is what allows us to get our, our, our focus back on God and see what God sees. It's where we enter the spiritual realm when we pray. Uh, you know, you know uh, the, the Bible says in, in Romans 8 that sometimes we don't even know what we ought to pray or how to pray. We don't even have the words, it says in Romans 8. But it says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Sometimes we're like, I don't even know, I just... Uh. But when we make the space and when we take the time... To be with God, that's where we, we get ministered to. That's where we connect with the spiritual world. Uh, and the Spirit helps us uh, and intercedes for us. But we have to make the time. right? We have to make the space. 
for God to show up, for us to, to have that encounter with God. We have to make the time. So Satan's always going to be trying to steal that time away from us. Uh, there's a book that, uh, that, that Mike had rec- recommended to me. Oh, Mike and Rachel Dunson are back from their uh, honeymoon. I don't think we recognize you guys. Welcome back. And uh, they have decided they're going to be in the ministry here, right, in South Bay. So woohoo, we're excited. Uh, Mike is a long, long, long time men, men, uh, member of the Lifeway region. So we, we stole him over here, but we're really grateful you're here, bro. And uh, amen. So welcome. Uh, but uh, they're still living over there, but they're c- kind of commuting back and forth for now. But uh, we're really excited you guys are here. But anyway, Mike recommended a book to me called Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. And I've been enjoying it and, and reading it. Here, I want to read you a quote from this book about prayer. It says, So when the children of the kingdom pray, they may even disappear from sight, for they have learned to be indifferent from, to whether others know of their prayer or not. They enter a private room and close the door. There they pray to their father, who not only sees in secret, but Jesus here says is in secret. So he's talking about it in the Sermon on the Mount where the, 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 the Pharisees, they're, they're making prayers. The point of their prayers is to look good. The point of their prayers is uh, this public thing. I want everybody to see how spiritual I am. And he says, no, the people of the kingdom, it's like I'm going to be in secret with the Lord and, and to see God who is in secret. So what that tells us is God is in this different realm, the realm of heaven, the realm of the kingdom of heaven, this different realm that he is in. He says, this is very significant and under the shadow of the Almighty, Psalm 91. Prayer, it is rightly said, is the method of genuine theological research, the method of understanding what and who God is. God is spirit and exists at the level of reality where the human heart or spirit also exists, serving as the foundation and source of our visible life. It is there that the individual meets with God in spirit and in truth. So God is in this other space, this heaven space. And he talks in the book about how Heaven, the ancients didn't view heaven like, like this has really transformed the way I think about heaven. Heaven is, like, like in the Jewish mind, heaven begins with the, the atmosphere right outside your skin, like right outside your body. That's the first heaven. And it extends up and beyond. So a lot of the, the, these passages where it talks about the, the, the term heaven, we think of it being way beyond the clouds, but it's just a, more of like a different dimension that God is in. It's God's space is heaven's space. And, and so it can be right there, right at hand, like at Bethel, where, where Jacob uh, encounters God and, and he, calls the na- he calls the place the house of God. Because I didn't realize God was right here. God was right here in this space. That's heaven's space. And when we pray, we're able to interact with heaven's space. We've got to be able to do that because if it's the end of the world as we know it, we want to be with God, right? We want to be on God's agenda. We want to be on God's, God's plan. I think too many of us, try to invite God into what we're doing and, and, and what our focus is instead of going, I want to get myself focused on what God is doing and where God's focus is. I want to align my life and my priorities and everything I'm doing with that God space. And that comes through prayer. Question, how are you doing in your prayer life? Have you allowed it to be stolen? Especially if you've gotten more busy, you know, maybe lately with some of the changes uh, that are happening on a lot of our jobs and things like that. Have you allowed your, your prayer life to get stolen? Or are you making that space for God to be there? Uh, so, so we're going to be, in closing, and, and before we have communion, we're, we're going to be spending time on this passage. And the, the rest of the passage goes on to talk about spiritual words and using God's words, spiritual gifts, using God's gifts, uh, and, and, and using hospitality, doing all this that God gives us 
by his power, but using it for his glory. That's what we do in times like we're in. As God's people, we're focused. We're razor focused on his plan and his kingdom and, and, and by his power for his glory. We are focused friends calling others to follow. We are focused friends calling others to follow. And so we're going to be looking through these, uh, the rest of this passage in the weeks ahead uh, and, and kind of digging into living this life that is focused on the things that God wants us to focus on. And this is, this is what will change the world, is when you have people that have this heaven focus, that are gathered and that are centered and that are together. And that's what communion is really all about. Communion is like a family dinner. You know, family dinner when you're a kid is, with our kids, that's where we connect, we, 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 we get back all on the same page again, we realize where we're at. You know, that's what communion is. It's a time where God's people come together around the table of fellowship, and we remember Jesus. And we, are, we get focused again on why we do what we do, why we're here. Even if it's the end of the world as we know it, we're, we're together and we're focused and we're, we're, we're one. We're one in Jesus. And, and he's not dividing us. And Henry and Lana are going to give us some updates and share here in, in just a minute. But when I think about family dinner and gathering around the table of fellowship, I can't help but think about Henry. Because, you know, Henry's family dinners are amazing. He even sings a song, a doxology, before the, 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 the bread is broken. And uh, it's just this awesome, uh, awesome thing. And, uh, you know, Henry and Lana are so, so dear to us. Henry put, put me in the ministry years ago, 21 years ago. I remember meeting at his house. And, and Henry built the, the eldership model here in Coastal. Uh, we're really so grateful to him. Um, even through times of crisis, uh, he really built a model where the elders have the ministers back and we're together and we're, we're, we're one. It's not, there are some churches where the elders and evangelists have this adversarial relationship, but not with what Henry built. It's, it's like we're one, we're together. We have different perspectives. We might be pushing, turning different knobs or trying different things to, to get the church where it needs to be, but we're totally together and we're one. Uh, and so they're going to share some family photos, some family updates, and then Henry, uh, our elder... Uh, Emeritus is going to be uh, uh, giving our prayer for communion. So I want to invite them up to share. In for the pointer. Oh, sorry, Henry. Oh, that's all right. No worries. Thank you, Brian. Um, first of all, before I go on, um, it's just an incredible joy for Lana yeah. and I to, to be here today. I look around and I just have a flood of memories, uh, an overflow of love and affection for the kindnesses that were shown to us for the 17 years that we were here and then uh, just uh, it's beyond words. There's a lot of stuff in life that really doesn't matter that much. Relationships in the body of Christ are worth investing in. And so first and foremost before we go on here and we uh, uh, Lana provides an update as far as our family and just by way of background um, this is us back in 2018 enjoying the favor of God's kindnesses. We've now been married 40 years. Um, thank you. And uh, the, uh, we left here um, because we were called 
uh, to serve in a small church in rural Pennsylvania and also to enjoy the blessings of being on-site grandparents. We raised three daughters, and uh, Lana's going to share about where things have gone since 2016. But just for some of you who don't know us, I just want to get you to the starting point, and then Lana will take it, and then I'll bring us back to the communion. But uh, God allowed us to bring up three daughters here in the church. You know, we've been in, we were in Los Angeles since 91, here in this group since 1999, and uh, it was just uh, an incredible time. Um, but uh, we went on to be on-site grandparents because all three of our daughters married godly men and then moved away. And we prayed for godly men, lovers of God and Jesus. But you, you, you know what we didn't do? We'd, godly California men. What were we thinking? Rats. So then... We found ourselves in a position, life is short, we all know that. We are especially sensitized during the tragedies of the pandemic. So anyway, we moved, and now with that, I'll bring on lovely Lana, and she'll share a bit about uh, what's going on. Go ahead. (laughs) Really close up. Oh, it's just really, really great to be here with you all, and, you know, um, it's really good to see you. (laughs) I I do feel so grateful for this ministry, um, and for those of you, and the memories we shared, and the, you know, the the talks, um, the help, the listening, letting us serve you, and you serving us, and just how it's supposed to be, um, putting the kingdom first, and... um, I just, I just, uh, I think about a lot of you often, and and I'm not on Facebook much, so that's not why, <laughs> and some of you aren't either. But I, I just have, I just have so many memories. So I'm a little weird right now because we're here, and I'm, you know, I'm staying, we're staying at the Johnsons, where we have so many fond memories, and you know, and we're actually native Californians. Our family goes back to the late late 1800s on his side, and on my 1930. So. Um, so it's even the smells and the eucalyptus trees we miss. But I think God, I just want to say, I think God did a, um, a real work on us because being here in this very large church, you know, the, the, the entire church, Los Angeles church, it was, you know, it was what we knew. And I think for me, I, I really, I counted on that structure a lot. And when we got to State College, which I realized God was putting it on our heart to go we had a daughter in Atlanta, another one in England, and and uh, we really the, the boy the men didn't really want to come back. They they just loved a vacation here. Let me put it that way. That's it. And um, so I think it just it just made me realize God was going to need to do a lot of work on me and us. We really had to band together in a much deeper way in our marriage and and accept that we're going to have to depend on God a lot more because there were mostly college students, if not 90% is college students in our little church. So friendship, the friendship piece was, was missing and had to go after it. So I, I really am grateful. Uh, Lauren, our oldest, uh, and her husband uh, lead the, the ministry there, and, um, and they've taught us a lot. Um, uh, and uh, they have three children now. This is their second son, Luke. Big, becoming a basketball player, <laughs> and um, and Carol Ann is in Atlanta with her husband, and they're three. Just had a third, and then the youngest, Diana Didi, who 
Um, maybe some of you know the best, I think. She, um, she's doing really well. And she uh, and her husband are in, in England, and he's British, so they'll probably stay there. And they just had a baby. And that, that's a real joy for us, to have the, the, um, just to have them to love, as you know, those of you grandparents. And um, finally, I, I just, uh, I think that's it. We are, we are in central Pennsylvania, where Penn State is, the Nittany Lions, anybody know? They're, they are, you, you talk about fans, and um, it, it's, it's pretty intense. But it's a different world. It's, a, it's a, surrounded by farmland and, uh, and just a small, you know, small town, small college town. So it's very different, but it's been very good for us. And, um, and that's really, that's kind of it. We'll just see what, where God takes us next. It may not be there forever. And so I'll hand it over to Henry. So, thank you, sweetie. Um, so after 41 years in medicine, um, I retired because we're up to seven grandkids in three cities and two continents, and there's just not enough time left in the day. And as you see, the times go on and things change and things become more clear as far as what's dear, God's family, the family God has puts us in. Uh, well, then you want to spend time reading children's books. And my youngest daughter gave me that book. It's about a koala bear. And the koala bear has to let go yeah, that's in order that's to one. get on to where he needs to go next. And anyway, it's a great little story that I'm uh, reading, the little thumb sucker there, with my oldest daughter, Lauren, in attendance. And so if you wonder how I spend my time now, Effectively. So, so uh, anyway, uh, what I'd like to now do is draw us back as God's family, those of us privileged today to be here and those who are on Zoom for a lot of great reasons. But for those of us who are here, we're going to be remembering Jesus. And uh, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And... Uh, we're going to then take it together as the family of God. So let's go to our Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, first of all, thank you for today. We know we spent a lot of time thinking about yesterday or tomorrow. But really, the thing we have right now is today. And God, we're grateful that you brought us together as uh, sisters and brothers with not only shared memories and battles we've been in together, hopefully not too many against each other, but anyway, a great number together fighting the evil one, and then with an anticipation of where we're going, but mostly just appreciation for where we are right now, which is with you. Remembering Jesus, remembering his example, remembering that he had choices and he had freedom. But he chose the way of the cross, that he did not shrink back, that it was really, really difficult. It was horrific. But because he knew how much we needed his sacrifice, and it was his dad's plan, that God, he willingly went to the cross as we take the bread that's going to symbolize his broken body, the fruit of the vine for blood that just flowed freely so that every single sin 
could be washed away and continue to be cleansed over time as we remain in him. That, God, we can have life to the full and life eternal. Thank you for this time drawing together as family to remember Jesus, to remember his faithfulness to you. Please bless these elements. God bless us all. Through Jesus I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.